We'll be back in the book of Proverbs that I've been preaching through slowly this year. So if you will, please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the last eight verses of Proverbs chapter 4. When Hannah and I arrived back in Dubai uh, at the beginning of 2017, we, we moved into a villa, an older villa in Jumeirah 2, and some of you have heard this story, but it always amazes me when I remember this, this instance, but we had moved into this villa, and there was, uh, you know, there were a few rooms. We had some members from Covenant Hope Church when, as we were gathering for core team meetings and, and getting ready to launch the church, we asked some people to join us living, living in our home. So Thelma Zerbik was one of those, uh, still a member at Covenant Hope, uh, not still a housemate though. Uh, but we moved into this house and there was another family there and they had a very young daughter. And as we were living in this home, we started to notice these kind of dark patches showing up on the walls of the house. And it started in one part of the house, and then as we inspected further, we started to see these black patches that were forming kind of lines along the wall around different rooms in the house, and it it was spreading. Um, And it was very distinct. You could see, and then we realized as we inspected, this was mold that was growing on the walls, it was growing in long, straight lines along the wall. Obviously, this was quite disconcerting to us. We realized, okay, seems like there is a leak in the pipes that are in the wall, and that's causing moisture to get into the wall, which is then leading to kind of growth of these molds. So we went to the landlord's representative, and we asked him to come and to help fix this. You know, maintenance was included in our villa, and so he came, and he looked, and he said, yes, yes, no, don't worry, no problem. We will get guys in. They'll scrape the walls, and then they'll repaint it. And you guys might be thinking, what I was thinking was, that seems pretty crazy, because clearly it will just come back. There was a a deeper issue than the paint. There was even a deeper issue than the, the mold that was growing on the wall because there was a leak in the pipes of the wall. He said, no, no, don't worry about it. We'll just scrape it again and we'll repaint it. We were like, we're leaving. And we uh, didn't renew our rental contract. We moved to a new house. Obviously having mold growing in your house is very dangerous. And so we were, we were shocked. We, we couldn't believe that he didn't want to deal with the problem, the root of the problem. He was just happy to have a quick fix, which really wasn't a fix at all. So often in our lives, in our approach to our own lives, we do the same thing, though. We focus on the outside of our lives, on our behaviors, on our actions, things that we want to fix about ourselves, but we fail to get below the surface to the heart of the issue. We want a quick fix. We want to just change the actions, but we don't want to take time or we don't think to take time to ask ourselves, what's going on in our heart that causes us to do that? Now, you don't have to be a Christian to have experienced this kind of thing, 
um, non-Christians and Christians alike, we, we see things about our lives that we, we, don't, we don't like, things that we want to change, right? And we set goals or we set uh, plans that we want to reach, but then we fail to reach them. Maybe we set New Year's resolutions and they last one or two or three weeks perhaps, but not much longer. There's bad habits that we, we hate, but they just kind of linger in our lives. Or there's mistakes that we just make over and over and over again, and we just go, oh gosh, I want that to stop. We don't take time to think what's going on. Maybe it's sin patterns in your life, even as a Christian, and you just can't kick that sin habit. Why is that? Why is that? Can we experience true and lasting change? The answer is yes, we can, but it will take a heart change. That's the answer that we're going to find in the passage that we're considering today. We're back, as I said, in the book of Proverbs, um, and so we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. The book of Proverbs uh, was uh, written and is attributed to King Solomon. King Solomon is David's son. He reigned about 3,000 years ago in Israel. And so, if you're new to our church, uh, if you're new to Christianity and you're exploring and you're kind of wondering, why, why would these people spend some of their Sunday afternoon reading a 3,000-year-old book written by a dead king? Well, we believe that this word that we will read, that is written by King Solomon, is in fact also God's inspired word, written through Solomon, and that it is fully God's word, and that it's for us. And this book in particular, the book of Proverbs, is, um, is a wonderful book and worth reading, not just once, but reading repeatedly through our lives, because it uniquely promises wisdom to us from God, wisdom to know how to live in God's world, how to live under God and before others. In fact, it, it claims to, it promises to give us timeless wisdom, to know how not to mess up our lives, but to live them to the fullest, no matter where we live or when we live. This book promises to teach us how to live well in God's world. The first nine chapters, which is the first section of the book, are King Solomon writing and speaking to his son, calling him to listen carefully to these words and to take them to heart so that he'll be transformed from the inside out. Not simply just be a better behaved son, but to be a changed and transformed son, that he would have a heart change character change, and that he would live rightly as a result. That by imbibing the truths of this book, the Son would have clean water flowing through solid pipes in his heart, rather than sewage leaking out into the walls of his life. And so, listen carefully as I read our text aloud. Pay close attention to what God has to say about the heart of wisdom. Follow along. I'll read them aloud. 
My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we consider His Word today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would help us now to listen attentively to Your words, to not let them escape from our sight. Lord, would You plant them deep within the soil of our heart, and would You cause them to give us life? Would You cause them to give us faithful life under You? before others. Lord, would you help keep us from evil, and would you help us to walk the paths of righteousness? For the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Simply stated, this lesson from the Father to His Son is that the Father says to His Son, guard your heart because it guides your life. Guard your heart because it guides your life. That's the message of these eight verses. Guard your heart because it guides your life. The Father's lesson shows us that change can and in fact must happen in our lives, but that change always happens through the pathway of our hearts. True, genuine, lasting change happens through the pathway of our hearts. In the Bible, When the Bible speaks about our heart, it isn't just our feelings or our emotions, which we so often think. No, our heart is actually kind of the control center of our whole being. Our heart is our inner self. And so, your heart is what feels, but it also thinks, it trusts, it wills, it obeys, it worships, it serves. And that in our hearts, that is where our greatest issues lie. That's where our greatest issues lie, within our hearts. You know, that's one of the most surprising and unpopular truths about Christianity, that our hearts are not innocent, they're not pure, they're not even neutral from birth, but that our hearts are deceitful above all things, that we're born sinners from birth, with hearts that are turned away from God and towards evil. You know, in fact, it's, it's, it was a funny coincidence. Three different church members told me this week that in conversations with other people, they heard this very common idea that, oh, this person did these bad things, but they're not really bad at heart. They have a good heart. Have you heard that kind of thing? Where someone would say, yeah, yeah, he made some bad choices or bad mistakes, but really he has a good, pure heart. Well, the Bible doesn't teach us that at all. 
The Bible teaches us that since Adam and Eve fell into sin, that our hearts are bent away from God and towards evil. Even as little children, our hearts are corrupted and fallen in sin. Just like those walls in my old villa, the solution to our problem isn't just a little scrub or a little paint job, just a little cosmetics. No, our problem runs deep, deeper than that. And what we need is major renovations. We need heart surgery. We need a heart transplant. And that's why the gospel is such amazing news, because God sent His Son into the world to cleanse us from our sins through His death on the cross. He washes away the guilt and the shame and the sin in our lives by bearing our sins in His body when He died on the cross. He pays the debt we owe for our sins, and He completely pays it in full. But more than that, through His resurrection life, because Jesus was raised on the third day, we also receive the gift of new life, new hearts, resurrected hearts that are no longer bound by the power of sin. We've been set free. In fact, the Bible describes it in Ezekiel 36 as God gives us new hearts He takes away that hard heart of stone, and He replaces it with a heart of flesh, a heart that is actually capable of obeying God's Word, a heart in which God writes His laws. And so, this is the greatest news. If you're new here and you're not a Christian, this offer is made freely available to all. The offer of a a new heart can be can be yours. It's free to any who come to Jesus in faith, that turn and recognize, my heart is sinful, but I want a new one. And Jesus has made that possible through His life, death, and resurrection. You can come to Him. You can receive a new heart, even today. It's as simple as accepting it by faith, trusting in what Jesus has done. And only in Christ can you follow the Father's call here to guard your heart because it guides your life? That's the only way that the Father's command here is possible is by turning to Christ by faith. And then you can begin to guard the heart that you have from Christ because it guides your life. So, let's consider this big idea of guarding your heart because it guides your life with two questions. First, what's flowing into your heart? What's flowing into your heart? Look at verses 20 to 23. The father has repeatedly been calling on his son to listen and live. He says that his words would be life to the son if he'll just receive them, just accept them. And that's what we see here in verses 20 and 21, that the way of godly wisdom, it's being handed down in words from a father to his son, and it's even being handed down to us. He says, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape your sight, keep them within your heart. If you're a parent, you are familiar with this kind of repetition, or these reminders, these encouragements. 
Or, or maybe, maybe you're not yet a parent, but you remember your parents speaking to you this way, saying, hey, pay attention, listen up. I only want to say this one more time. Don't forget what I've told you. You know, this week was Charlotte, our daughter's first day of school. She just started this week, and Hannah and I have been telling her repeatedly. We've said, Charlotte, you need to pay close attention to what the teacher has to say. Already, though, on a couple of occasions, just in one week of going to school, she's come home and she's confessed to us, I got out of my seat. We go, oh, were you not supposed to do that? She was like, no, teacher told me not to do that. Like, oh, you need to listen to the teacher. It's actually pretty cute. She comes home and confesses her sins to us. It's wonderful. But the same is true for us. We need this encouragement to pay close attention, to listen up to God's words. Our passage, it's, it's full of references to different body parts. He, he talks about the ears. He talks about the eyes. He talks about the hearts and the mouth and the feet. But up front in these first few verses... The focus is on the parts of the body that are receptive, on the ears and on the eyes, and they form the gateways to our hearts. Did you notice that in verse uh, 21? He says we should allow God's Word to flow in and be stored up, to be treasured in our hearts. For they, that is the, the words of the Father, are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. These words of God to us are life. Now, this is not a, a promise that if you read the Bible more, you're going to be kept from getting sick. No, the, the, the author here is using the metaphor of this whole section that, that when we treasure God's Word in our hearts, it will impact all the rest of our body. It will impact the way that we live. It will, it will invade our, our hearts and then guide our lives. And, and we're going to see how that plays out with our mouths and with our eyes and with our feet in our second uh, section of this text. But let me ask you, how are you doing with that first part? Receiving the Word of God and listening to it. Are you committed to hearing from God in His Word each week? One of the primary ways that we do that is through the regular preaching of God's Word each Sunday. What I'm doing now in terms of opening up the Scriptures and reading them aloud and proclaiming them to you. How are you doing even today at listening in this sermon? Are you actively listening? Have you been following along in the passage when I asked you to turn there and look at the text with me using your eyes and then hearing it as I read it aloud with your ears. I, I wonder if you've noticed how almost every single week the preacher asks you to open up your Bible to the passage and to look at it with your eyes and to listen carefully as they read it aloud. And then they seek to unpack it and apply it to our hearts, each and every one of us. Being good listeners to the truth of God's Word each week will help you guard your heart. It will help you guard your heart from listening to the lies of the world and the flesh and the devil. 
the words and the ideas and beliefs that we listen to will guide all the rest of our lives, both in who we are and what we do. And so, what's flowing into your heart each week? How would you grade yourself at listening to sermons? How would you grade yourself at listening to God's Word in private devotion? What would you say is the number one culprit that steals your attention away from God's Word? Is it your phone? Is it the cares of your week? It's worth asking yourself what that reveals about what your heart cares most about, the things that keep you from paying close attention to God's Word. We can become more attentive and committed listeners of God's Word in a lot of different ways, but here are just a few ways that you can tune your ears to hear God's Word better. And they're not earth-shattering, but a commitment to them over time will change your life. First, meditate on the sermon text before the service each week. That would be a great encouragement to you. And when I say meditate on God's Word, I, I don't mean try and empty your mind, I mean try and fill your mind. Read the passage slowly. Think about it deeply. Reflect on it personally. What does it teach you about who God is? What does it teach you about who you are? What does it call for in your life? What kind of action does it call for? And then, following that, talk and pray with your friends about the sermon after the service. Maybe even today, as you go to have dinner after our service, talk with someone, pray with them, and then finally act on the sermon throughout the week. Make a plan of something to do or something to think on throughout the week in light of the sermon passage. And why is this so important? Why is it so important to to think and meditate upon God's Word? Well, because what flows into your heart guides your life. That's the point the Father is making. He states it plainly in verse 23. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The NIV says, above everything else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Your heart shouldn't be one among many other important things that you guard and protect. Your heart should be above all else what you guard and protect. With all vigilance, you should do it. I did a a very simple Google search and found that the global market for security is somewhere in the region of 120 to 130 billion dollars. That's how much people invest in protecting their assets and protecting their possessions and their money. We work hard and we'll spend money even to protect the things that are of greatest value to us. That might be security systems in our home to protect our family and our possessions or our car alarm systems or even our phones. But how much attention is given to guarding and protecting the one thing that guides your entire life. How much energy, how much time do you think about guarding your heart? 
this picture of keeping or guarding your heart is, is someone keeping watch over, standing guard by. It's, it's used elsewhere in the, in the Bible to speak about prison guards watching over prisoners, guarding who gets in and who gets out from a prison. And so positively, as we've just considered, we guard our hearts by storing up God's Word within and living in accordance with it, but it also involves keeping a close watch on our hearts to make sure that things we don't want in don't get in. Paying close attention to what is going on in our hearts as well, to ask ourselves, what, what is it that I'm feeling? What is it that I'm believing? What is it that I'm serving or striving for? Oftentimes, we're not even aware of what's going on inside our hearts. We're simply following our hearts. We're not guarding them. If there's an area of your life where God's Word calls for change, rather than focusing on the behaviors, we need to dive below the surface. We need to ask ourselves, what is going on in my heart? What am I trusting? What am I fearing? What am I hoping in? In a very good book called How People Change, the authors write, beneath the battle for behavior is another more fundamental battle that we must fight. It's the battle for the thoughts and the motives of our heart. And so, as a church, we help one another to do this by asking heart-related, heart-level questions, especially when we are not being careful to keep God's Word. When we see sin in each other's lives or when we confess sin to one another, it's important to ask. Ask questions about what's going on in the heart. Not because you're nosy, but because you want to help and care for that person, that we've committed to one another as a church to help one another follow Jesus, and so you want to bring the truth of God's Word into their heart. Speak the truth to them and help them see how true change is possible. And so, we ask intimate. We ask personal questions to help each other keep careful watch over our hearts and to guard them from Satan's lies. And so, we ask questions like, what were you believing in that moment when you sinned? Or what were you not believing that's true, that God tells us in His Word? What was it that you were seeking when you made that choice? What made that feel right? And how is that actually wrong? What was that sin promising to give to you, but was a lie? Who or what were you seeking to serve in that moment when you had that fight? It's in moments like this, when we ask each other deep, heartfelt questions, that we really get to minister the love of Christ to one another. It's when we honestly bear our hearts and then speak the truth and grace of God's Word and the gospel that we will see lasting change, that we'll have our hearts transformed and that our hearts will be better guarded. So, we must commit ourselves to guarding our hearts because they guide our lives and everything that we do flows from our hearts, which begs the question, what is flowing from your heart. 
That's our second point. What is flowing from your heart? We'll see the answer to this in verses 24 through 27. They shift from the heart to the mouth and to the eyes and to the feet. And so, the, the author is, is turning his attention from the inner person, the inner workings of his son, to the outward behaviors. I don't know if you noticed that as I read it earlier. These behaviors, they flow out from, and so they therefore reveal what's going on in the heart, or at least they give a window in, but our actions also have a shaping effect on our hearts. It's like a feedback loop. And so, our actions reveal what's going on in our hearts, but they also influence what's going on in our hearts. And so, we have to guard what flows out from our hearts as well as we guard what flows into our hearts. One commentator wrote it this way with regards to words. He says, superficial habits react on our minds so that cynical chatter and complaining and flippant words and half-truths barely meant when we speak them in the first place actually harden into well-established habits of thoughts. He's saying that even what we allow to come out from our mouth has a shaping effect on what we think and believe and understand. And here in these last few verses, he, he begins to look at the actions of the Son and give encouragements for guarding them. We could summarize these actions as speech, sight, and steps. Speech is in verse 24. The behavior number one that he talks about is speech of the mouth. Jesus taught the same principle to His disciples, that the heart guides your life, and He even spoke in relation to our speech. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, your words reveal the state of your heart. You can't say, well, I didn't really mean it. No, you might not like it, but it came out from within your heart, and so you did mean it. Jesus teaches us that even on judgment day, we'll give an account for every single word, even careless ones that we've uttered. And so, our words matter. That's why we're called to cut out crooked speech, the Father tells the Son. He says, put away devious talk. Solomon has a lot of specific things to say about our words, which we'll see throughout the rest of the book. He gives many proverbs about words. But here, it's a general call to keep your words straight, not crooked. Truthful, not deceptive. Pure, not corrupting instructive, not destructive. Your mouth is actually one of the clearest windows into your heart. And so, ask yourself, what do the words and the things that you say reveal about your heart? Do you lie or twist the truth to your own advantage? Do you speak in ways about other people that you would be horrified if they happened to be in the room and you didn't see them, you didn't notice them? Do you avoid speaking true words in love in order to keep the peace? 
Do you let anger and bitterness in your heart spill over into words of hatred towards others? Venomous words. We read earlier Paul's encouragements to the church in Ephesus, and he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, Christians should be marked by putting off falsehood and speaking the truth. He says, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor. Further on, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. Covenant hope. How are we doing in using our words? Our words reflect what our hearts are full of. And if they are full of God's truth, then it can be a blessing to the church. That grace will spread throughout the church through our words. May that be true of us. But it's also true that if our hearts are not being filled with the Word of God and if we speak words that divide or are corrupt, that it can hurt us as a church. Let's guard our mouths and be careful with what we say. The second behavior that he talks about is the sight of the eyes, and we see that in verse 25. Not only do the eyes take in light and vision, they also set the direction of our lives. You've heard that phrase, keep your eyes on the prize, go towards it. That's what the Father's talking about here. I think this is actually one of His favorite metaphors for life in the book, that life is a way that we walk. It's a path to be pursued. Just like in John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, life is presented like a journey. It's a a way and it leads to one of two destinations, eternal judgment in the city of destruction or eternal life in the celestial city. And just as in that story, Christian had to fix his gaze on the the right path that led to the king, we too need to fix our eyes straight ahead, straight forward. What does that that mean? What does that even look like? It means actively focusing on the right way, according to God's Word. His Word is a lamp to our feet. It directs our path. It shows us where to go. Not getting distracted by wrong ways that surround us. There are many, many paths out there, but all of them head to the city of destruction. A major part, a major part of Christian growth in godliness is a persistent and purposeful pursuit of God's path, just walking one step after another towards heaven. So, where are your eyes looking? What's the ultimate goal of your life? For some of you, I've seen it. It's what this passage is describing. It's a pursuit of the Lord, not perfectly, but persistently. It's pursuing greater holiness that flows from a guarded heart. It's honoring God with whatever roles He's given you, whether that be a student or a managing director. Praise the Lord. This encourages you to keep going. 
Keep fixing your gaze on the Lord. Keep pursuing Him. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Run the race that's set before you. But for others, there are things which distract you from the Lord, that steal your attention away from looking straight. Perhaps those things are even in themselves morally neutral. It could be career advancement or personal interest. Those things are not necessarily wrong, but rather than seeing them in the light of Christ, we allow them to take the place of Christ and we turn and we're focused on them more than we're focused on Him. Ask yourself if that goal that you've set for yourself, is it drawing you closer to Christ or keeping you from Christ? And if it's the latter, repent and fix your gaze once again on Him. But for some of us, there are goals in our lives that are simply sinful and worldly. We live in a world of vanity fairs Idols are everywhere. Things like status and success and wealth, they catch our eyes, they promise joy, they promise delight, but they all ultimately end in death. That's what happened in the garden. It's what one author notes, as long as people have their gaze fixed on heavenly truth, Satan has no advantage over them. But Eve, in the garden. She fell only when she had looked upon the forbidden fruit. Her gaze turned to what she shouldn't have desired. Ask yourself, what are the eyes of your heart fixed most firmly on? And if it's anything but the Lord, repent and turn your gaze back to Jesus. Behavior three, finally, are the steps of our feet. And we see those in verses 26 through 27. These final two verses speak of the path of your feet, and they talk about not swerving to the left or to the right into evil, and having fixed our gaze on the right goal, all that's left to do is to take steps forward, to take action. And He tells the Son to ponder His way, ponder His path, we too need to carefully consider our choices and our actions. What course are they setting us off on? Make a plan for what steps you're going to take to guard your heart, to watch your mouth, and to fix your gaze on Jesus, and then do it. We can't be merely hearers of the Word. We must be doers of the Word. And so, what steps are you going to take as a result of hearing this sermon? Maybe it will be committing to studying the passage each week before you come to church. Or simply asking someone after the service, how did the sermon passage challenge your heart today? Or being determined to guard your speech better, to use your words intentionally to build others up, not tear them down. Or maybe writing down some godly Christ-honoring goals that you want to commit to, to the straight path that's laid out by God, and asking others to hold you accountable. This life that we live, this path that we walk, it is a constant turning away from steps towards sin, and it's a life of unswerving commitment to following after the Lord Jesus. 
And that's why Solomon takes this holistic approach to discipling his son. He starts with the heart, our innermost person, and what we allow to flow in, as well as addressing the son's actions that flow out from his heart. And his message is simple. Guard your heart because it guides your life. Brothers and sisters, Christ has given us new hearts to be guarded and kept for Him and for His glory. How are you doing in guarding them? May we fill them to the brim with the Word of God, and that will overflow and be seen in our speech, in our sight, and our steps. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that You would renew our hearts and make us whole. Lord, would You help us to guard our hearts, to guard what goes into them, to keep Your Word and to store it up within our hearts. And Lord, would it guide our lives, keep our speech pure and edifying? Would it keep our focus firmly fixed on Jesus? And would it keep our steps pure and blameless? For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.